It's time for Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Beginning of the week, Compassion Radio, Chasing the Word. It's good to be here. We are deep in the thick of chapter 19 of John and what Jesus did for us. And in a world, yeah, this seems like there's so much going on that is so un-Christ-like. Mm-hmm. How important it is to remind ourselves what real sacrifice means and to appreciate, again, to feel it, to enter into with empathio, to be there mm-hmm. at the cross with John and with all the other disciples. As we've celebrated the Easter season, we can still continue to look deeper into what happened because I think sometimes we just move past it. We go... On Friday, he was crucified. Saturday, he was silent. And Sunday, he rose again. I think we kind of miss the details a little mm. bit because we're in the throes of celebration, maybe. So for me, we've kind of put the brakes on mm. and we're looking deeper into what actually transpired during those hours. That's a good practice to get into every part of scripture that and you read. <laughs> not a bad idea to spend weeks in the Good Friday itself. Right. And that's what these chapters are about. Mm-hmm. We ended up with the interaction between Jesus and John and his mother, where he finished our last episode telling John, this is your mother, and Mm -hmm. looking at his mom and saying, this is your son. Mm -hmm. This is the big transition for him. As a son, as someone who's in a family, he has just told his mother in no uncertain terms that I am dead to you, Mm -hmm. that I am not going to be there to do the things that families expect their sons to do to take care of their parents in old age. You know, Jesus has a very special role for all of us, but, you know, Mary made a huge sacrifice in letting him go. Mm -hmm. Not that she had a whole lot of choice in the matter, but nonetheless, she emotionally was invested so much as a mom. How do you say okay when your son has just said, I'm not going to survive this? They're ahead of the curve here. The two of them are reconciling to the reality of this Mm -hmm. before anyone else has even got a grip on it. Well, as a mother, I can't imagine having to make that kind of separation, that realization coming to me that this is the end of my child's life, my son's life, my daughter's life, whichever. My mother had to do that a couple of times with Mm -hmm. children before she passed away. It's always a devastating prospect for us to think about losing a child. But the thing that stuns me the most about this, the biggest question that I have is, where were Jesus' half-brothers and sisters why was John entrusted with the care of his mother? That's just a big question for me, but I don't know if you can really get to the bottom of that without more information, and we just don't have it. It just seems like, for whatever reason, his father is missing. So Joseph is not there, either physically left this world, died young, or something else happened. Mm -hmm. The Bible does not describe this as being an issue, but there's nothing there to say it didn't happen, that they had a falling out. Mm. that the father just could not go as far in this prospects for his son being who he claimed to be. Even though he had all those experiences as a younger man with the revelation of Jesus' identity, Mm. with the angels saying, take this woman and take her son. Mm -hmm. Be the father to this family. It starts well there, but we don't know what kind of struggle they went through later in life. Yeah, Well, that is an intriguing prospect to think about. I hadn't gone that place before, but Yeah, I mean, I think it's just as likely as anything else. We have no record of Joseph after Jesus was 12 years old. All those brothers and sisters are not present in any of the texts, which means they literally were not there. 
other than the times they came to the house and said, come back, come back with us, come out of there, you know. So perhaps if Joseph is still alive, that they're aligned with him. You know, there could be that kind of break happening mm. in the family because of the human realities of how difficult it is to face up to how much bigger the circumstances have gotten than you can control or that's beyond the scope of what you ever thought it would, you would be as a man or a husband mm-hmm. or a father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. But nonetheless, there's already a glaring absence in, in Jesus's family, whether Joseph has already passed away or whether he's shunned him. Mm-hmm. Either way, He's not there. Right. And he can't address his father at that point and say, I can't help you care for mom anymore. Well, and traditionally, we think of Joseph as having been quite a bit older than Mary. So it is quite possible that he had already passed on as far as life expectancy goes. But it's always interesting, I think, to speculate on these different things. And that's why I love historical fiction so Mm -hmm. much, because they speculate on a lot of these ideas and thoughts that come up just from reading scripture. And again, we don't know historically what happened or what the actual scene was like, but it's interesting to think about for sure. So we launch into this episode with the awareness and reminding ourselves of the awareness that something happened here that is fundamental to Jesus' identity and to John's identity Mm -hmm. and to his mother. Mm -hmm. An exchange, a contract, a compromise compact, a covenant is being written right there from the cross for his own family so his mother would be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And that is the end of it. Beyond that point, he's no longer her son. Mm -hmm. That seems to be a real break for him, like you said. It is a conscious shift in his thought process because when we pick up in verse 28, it is completely a different thing because he talks about everything's accomplished, you know. So let's jump right to it then. All right, starting in verse 28 of chapter 19 of the book of John. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a special day for them. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified along with Jesus. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also, another scripture says, they will look at the one they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, went and asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Then they took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the aromatic spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A tomb was in this garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish preparation and since the tomb was nearby. We listen to John say, the scripture said these things about what will happen. Mm -hmm. So he quotes from the Psalms of David. 
and talks about the things that Jesus would literally do, not figuratively, but he would literally die. He would literally be pierced. He would literally not have his bones broken. It can't be more literal than that. And I want you to read for us a little bit of that prophecy in Zechariah that is being highlighted here by John. Okay. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me, whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. A time of prayer. I mean, what is prophesied there is a holy hush, really. Mm -hmm. We hear from other accounts, too, that there was such a blanket of a weightiness on the hill that the sun was blotted out, Mm -hmm. like God himself was weeping. Yeah. The thing that really jumped out to me about the way we read it now is that because he brings to mind these prophecies, we get the impression they're thinking about those things at that time. Mm-hmm. I think that's the farthest thing Probably, from the truth. Yeah. I'm thinking months or years later, they go back through the scrolls. Again, they don't have chain reference Bibles back then. They're not yeah. going through verse and chapter and following the, the rabbit trail. They have to know the word, and they have to go back and reread the word in its long form, pull out the literal scrolls and read from top to bottom. And when they see those things jump out at them, that must have just rattled their cages Mm -hmm. big time and shook their souls because they were there. They lived that moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now they see that there's an account, a presaged account of what they literally went through as people. They're not just reading a prophecy about Jesus. They're reading a prophecy about them. Mm. And how many times do you think about people reading a prophecy saying, this literally applies to me? The disciples can say it did because they were part of the entire action. And they know what it was like to mourn on that hill. They know Mm -hmm. what it was like to pray in a way where you have no words to utter, Mm -hmm. that the Holy Spirit has to intercede for you in ways that you can't because you have no words. Mm -hmm. Well, if you go back and just read that little snippet of the scripture, and then you come to verse 35, and it's like John just flips into reporter mode. He tells what happens, them piercing Jesus with the spear, and then he says, he who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. So then he's like, I got to make sure that you know that I saw this, and I'm testifying to this. I was there. I was there. No one was reading at the time and going, okay, now next in Psalms, it Mm -hmm. says we're going to not break his legs. Okay, now in Zechariah, it says we're going to pierce his eyes. These guys are not doing that. The cap of the guard saying, whoa, 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 we we can't do that to him. The scripture says. They're not doing that. So these things are fulfilled by those who were not followers of even the God of Abraham, Mm -hmm. of the God of the Jews. These were, quote, pagan men who were at this place. For 78 years now, we've depended on the faithful encouragement of friends just like you to bring this unique radio and media ministry to the air each day. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. I personally met with dozens of refugees and kingdom workers who ran to the front lines of need and have selflessly given of themselves completely, thoroughly, And as I saw to the point of indescribable exhaustion, I saw refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. 
This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. I hope we can be a real encouragement and challenge to you for many, many years to come. And make sure to ask for your own copy of The Dynamic Gospel when you contact us today. So these things are fulfilled by those who were not followers of even the God of Abraham, Mm -hmm. of the God of the Jews. These were, quote, pagan men who were at this place. It goes to that argument that we've always had with people that are not of faith, saying, oh, that's just coincidence. Mm -hmm. These things, these circumstantial evidence you're talking about, they're just circumstances. Stuff happens. Right. Yeah, it happens. And every once in a while, God says, you know what's going to happen? This. And then when it happens, you can look back at the Word and say, well, it happened as God said. That is how God creates credibility for His Word and for His people, by showing that He's working in history and is observant of history. Even if God did nothing to make the events happen, the very fact that He was there before we were to give an account of His own says a whole lot about His nature being way above and beyond ours. So whether you think God made these things happen or forced these people to do these things, or whether you think he was just there to observe it, he's still on a whole other plane here Mm -hmm. and wants us to know that. We need to know that he is absolutely transcendent and that all that happened there was something that rendered the very heart of God and the the fabric of God was being torn Mm -hmm. on that cross. Well, I did a little reading too on this. I just wonder why is this such a big deal that he pierced Mm -hmm. his side, they didn't break his legs. Piercing them was not a common practice. Breaking their legs was a common practice because then they couldn't lift themselves up to breathe. For crucifixion. Right, right. That's what I mean. When you look back at some of the early scriptures that have to do with capital punishment according to the Jewish law, Deuteronomy numbers, all those other law books. Mm -hmm. There are still crimes that required people to die, but they also very specifically would say you may not break their bones Mm -hmm. in certain Mm -hmm. situations. Even if you're going to stone them to death, if it's going to break a bone, you can't do it. There's something important about that image, that template that God often says, the way you conduct yourselves, even in the worst times that a human being can be involved in, either as a criminal or one that has to put a criminal down, according to their law, it is still the ultimate act. Mm -hmm. And God says, I know about ultimate acts. In fact, I'm going to show you my ultimate act someday. So for him, it's really, really important that basic dignity is never sacrificed on the altar of your revenge. Mm. And that was something he made very clear through all the rules. So even if it seems more violent than we can imagine in today's society, even in a violent culture, there was limits that God put on his people's actions. And when they blew it, when they went past that limit, they were subject to even worse punishments. And this is not a debate about capital punishment. I'm simply saying that observing what they were as a society, what Jesus went through with his capital punishment, and what we think about it now looking back, if we're going to be on one side of the issue or the other, we still have to wrestle with the Word of God. If it's going to go that far, under what circumstances, under what conditions, and under what limits Hmm. could we even consider doing this to another human being? And that's something that a lot of Christians today are not 
thinking through. They simply say, well, we're law and order people. That's the end of it. It doesn't make a difference how it happens. Well, I hesitate to go into that kind of discussion because I am not a proponent of capital punishment whatsoever. So the fact that we continue this practice is just shocking to me. It is to many Christians across history, yeah. too. And to some others, it's like, how can you not think of capital punishment? It was used in the Bible. Right. And so that argument will continue raging, I think, for generations I to come. I think so, too. But we have to observe that it happened, that God allowed it to happen. And as a result, we have to wrestle with God's character, mm-hmm. his intentions, his methods, and the results. Mm-hmm. All those things are difficult for us to work through, especially if we disagree mm-hmm. with some of the systems that were used at those times. Yeah. I think we have to wrestle with this constantly in our minds as believers in Christ because we look at scripture that tells us God is love. His very essence is love. That is his biggest descriptor Mm -hmm. in the scriptures about what and who God is. And then we read passages like this the crucifixion of Jesus and how God allowed it to happen. I don't know what I think about all of this as far as when I hear God turning his face away and God forsaking. I I don't know how to think about all of that because all I believe about God is that he is love and he Mm. loves me and he loves you and everyone he loves. And so when I look at this kind of scripture, it is troubling to my heart. And it begs the question, can real love not be broken? Mm. You know, People who have suffered understand empathy and compassion because yeah. they know they needed it or they experienced it or did not have it and they knew they wanted it. Those who have never really suffered don't ever seem to have a natural empathy for others. Mm. It's like, why mm. would I care? I mean, my life's perfect. Yeah. There's danger for us in our own spiritual foundation if we do not acknowledge that suffering is real mm-hmm. and that it can at any moment come to us. And when it does come to us, to recognize we have one with us in it mm-hmm. because he's been through it too. Yeah. We need to go ahead and read from the dynamic gospel now so we can get that perspective. All right. Again, chapter 19, verse 28 and on. As Jesus perceived the triumph at hand, that everything the scripture spoke of was being fulfilled to perfection. He called for the cup, saying, I'm thirsty. A bucket of spoiled wine sat nearby. The guards soaked a sponge with it and wrapped it around the hyssop gnawing stick. They climbed up to Jesus and held it for him to chew. After ingesting the sour symbol of sin, Jesus said, It's done. His neck convulsed and his head flopped over as his spirit left his body. The religious leaders were eager to get back to their Passover preparations, and time was short. Their law specifically stated that no dead body should remain unburied on a Sabbath, especially this Sabbath. So they urged Pilate to have the condemned's legs broken to speed things up a bit. And could he please expedite their disposal if that wasn't too much trouble? The soldiers got the order and stepped up to shatter the men's shin bones. This they did to both of the men at Jesus' side. But when they inspected Jesus, it was obvious he was already dead, so they didn't crush his legs. One of the soldiers decided to make sure, and he jammed a spear between the ribs of Jesus. Blood and water gushed out. The one writing this saw it all and attests to every last detail. It is a reliable account. It was obvious that all these particulars happened to fulfill specific prophecies, including that not one of his bones will be broken, and another saying, They will gaze upon the one they have stabbed. Later, Joseph from Arimathea Having been a discreet follower of Jesus and fearful of the temple authorities, privately asked Pilate if he might be permitted to give Jesus a proper burial. This request Pilate granted, releasing the body to his custody. 
Nicodemus, the one who had earlier pursued Jesus under cover of night, also came with an abundance of funeral supplies, including over a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes. Together these men respectfully bound up the body and spices in the traditional burial linens. Not far away from the crucifixion site was a garden with a new burial crypt, never used. Little daylight remained, and the men hurried there to assure that Jesus was entombed before sundown, as the law required. I want to talk a minute about Joseph and Nicodemus in Mm. this passage. These are brave men to step up. Now we read, it seems like they were cowards. They came under cover of darkness. Joseph was a discreet follower of Christ. But we've talked so many times about the power of the religious leaders and how they could make or break your life. And we know also that... Making or breaking your legs. Also, we know that Nicodemus was part of the ruling council. Yeah. So he was the minority report. Yeah, so he was in a very tenuous situation, you yeah. know. He had probably a lot of influence with his compatriots. I mean, yeah. they did respect good argument. Mm-hmm. So one-on-one over dinner, you could have a lively discussion as long as you respected the forms, mm-hmm. the, the rules of the game. Right. And so he had, I believe, the respect of his fellow Sanhedrin members as a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he really ever felt like he had the kind of influence he wanted. Mm-hmm. He wanted to stop this. Yeah. I've often wondered after this portion of scripture what they did from this point on, how they spoke out or not spoke out, or what they did when they heard the news from the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. Did they go to the tomb? I know I'm down the road a little yeah. bit, but we're talking about these two men. They must have felt pretty alone. Yeah, and they must have felt alone. They must have felt really confused about what they had been mulling over in their hearts and minds and following Jesus discreetly as they were. You know, as Jesus had talked with Nicodemus, words mattered. He said, what you say with your mouth has power. Why are you, as a teacher of the word itself, not convinced about the right things? Why are you so confused? Mm -hmm. So he took him to task for his words. But we also think about the adage that actions speak louder than words. Mm -hmm. At this moment where nobody else on earth would take responsibility for the aftermath. These two men did. Mm -hmm. They paid a lot of money for this. I mean, they gave Jesus a kingly burial. So the abundance of the spices and the the linens and things that were used for that, they packed him like you would pack a king. Mm -hmm. I also think about Pilate in this scenario and Mm -hmm. how he willingly gave up the body of Jesus Mm -hmm. to these men. I think, in my mind, I, I... play out the scene there, and I think maybe he was relieved yeah. to know that Jesus would be well taken care of, because, so. you know, I do think that there was a whole crisis of belief in him, mm. a, just a whole crisis of faith in Pilate, you know, the note that he gets from his wife, we read about that in Matthew and Luke, how do we know about those things? Well, maybe there was people in the household that she knew that maybe she was a secret follower of Jesus somehow mm. as well, you know. What happened to Pilate after this? How was his life altered in all of this? And it's just really interesting speculation. Like we talked about the father of Jesus, Joseph. So it's just good to think about. I know we have to end quickly here because we're running out of time. But Mm. I would say that for Pilate, he probably had given up any hope of the people he was ruling being good. Mm -hmm. He watched the worst of mankind in front of him. They couldn't stop it. Why would he even have pity on the people anymore? And then these two men step in to say, we'll take care of business for you. We're going to honor Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think a first thought might have been, where were you 12 hours ago? Yeah. And secondly, maybe it gave him a glimmer of hope mm-hmm. for the people of Israel for not all being despicable. And bloodthirsty. Like, and bloodthirsty. Whatever it was, though, all three of them had a profound interaction, I'm sure of that. Yeah. 
And that is where we have to let it go. I know it's not easy, but there is good stuff coming, of course. Yeah. As they say, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. What kind of love is this that climbs the hill, that bears the cross, that takes the nails? What kind of love is this that takes my place, that gives his life and clears my name? to know what kind of love this is What kind of love is this that gives his son that bears the sin of everyone What kind of love is this that cries alone the taste of death to bring Thanks for joining us today. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today. Call 1-800-868-2478. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.